1: Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust progressive progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law.
2: Hi, everybody. Welcome back into another edition of the South sports and stuff podcast. And boy, we got a lot of stuff we've been talking about this year with the Buffalo Bills because it is rolling on again before last week, a quarter century since the Buffalo Bills last won a playoff game. Pretty amazing. So that's how long it's been since they've been in this position the last time this team played a divisional round playoff game the last time they played one at home i should say was against the uh, not Oakland but LA Raiders not even Vegas the LA Raiders in a very very cold game and i think a lot of you probably remember that game it was uh it was kind of a weird one kind of went down fourth quarter the Raiders actually played really well in buffalo but the Bills advanced on then played the Chiefs in the AFC Championship game the final you know playoff game before advancing to their final super bowl in that run last week Big win over the Indianapolis Colts, and now they take on the Baltimore Ravens. And a side note on this, how about this? Going into this year, the Bills had only not played two current AFC teams in the playoffs in their history. One was the Colts. They had never played the Colts in the playoffs until last week, and the other, the other, the Baltimore Ravens. They'll get that out of the way this weekend. It'll be the first time these two teams match up ever in playoff history. It's the last team the Buffalo Bills have ever faced the only non current AFC team team they've never faced in the playoffs and to talk all about the Ravens with me today is Jeremy Kahn host of the lowdown 105.7 the fan in Baltimore this is cool because anytime we have a situation like this you know what I scratch your back you scratch mine I go on your radio show you come on my <laughs> radio show or podcast I love doing this man thanks
3: yeah no I appreciate you having me man I love I love talking about this stuff so it's uh it's fun too and then you know when you join my show I I think we both I, I don't want to put words in your mouth but I told you I said Whoever wins this game, that's who I want to see win the Super Bowl. So there's, uh, you know, I'm not wishing anyone in Buffalo luck this weekend, but if it should go your way, I'll be pulling from like crazy. And I've got some uh, Bills fans in the family now as they were married in. So <laughs> uh, and I know how fanatical they could be.
2: No doubt about it. You know, I, I will too, because I'll tell you why. Number one, all right, we've already seen that movie with Kansas City, and, you know, I don't need to see that happen again. Um, number two, we cannot have another city near the we, week. We cannot have Cleveland win a Super Bowl before Buffalo. We just cannot have that happen in Baltimore, man. You know, we're going to get into Lamar and Josh, but I root for Lamar. I love Lamar. I, I just think he's exciting, cool. you know, so there's no doubt I, I'm going to be in that same train as you look, let me, let me start there though, with the city itself, the Baltimore Ravens, you just heard me open and say. Twenty-five years, I mean, Jeremy. It's been a long time here. You guys are used to success in Baltimore. You have a, you have Super Bowls there, and you know, pretty recently even won a Super Bowl. But what about this particular team? Um, just tell me you know, what what the city and and people are feeling about this team. Expectations coming into the year mm-hmm. versus where they are, and things like that.
3: So it, it's kind of cool because um, you know, coming into the season, obviously last year was heartbreak. You're fourteen and two. You look like the best team in football. Everybody had. Kansas city and Baltimore circled in the AFC championship and how fun that's going to be. And then they just laid an egg against the Tennessee Titans, the team that they were a double digit favorite over that they should have just run rough shot. And in my mind, a lot of it falls on the coaching staff for getting away from what they do well. And that's run the football. I mean, they, they broke the record for, uh, in NFL history for a team rushing, you know, rushing yards in a season. And then they come out against the Titans, drive down the field, throw an interception on the first series and then just it was like panic set in they just kept throwing the ball and getting away from the run even when it was the one score game uh at halftime or just after the half I guess you could say they were still throwing the ball and we're going what are you doing you've got this amazing quarterback that can uh, and, and running system for that matter um why not just go back to that so it's been pretty crazy and I mean there's a lot of things that tie into this that I don't even know how how familiar you are with but um you know, in, in Baltimore all season long, so I became friends with a, a kid that passed away from cancer that called my show. The NFL Network did a piece on him. Yes. And it was uh, the NFL 360 on Mo Gaba. And uh, so Baltimore, you know, the Ravens had painted the M.O. in Baltimore in gold all season long in the end zone. And now no home playoff game, so we're obviously not seeing that. And um, the, the team has kind of rallied around it, and everybody knows him, and it's been it's been a big thing in our city um and and you know shout out to Bill's Mafia for actually a bunch of people hit me up and donating to you know pediatric cancer and um and a federation for the blind two things that greatly affected Mo but but long story short like they've kind of rallied around that and it's been really cool to see um and I know a lot of people in the city are you know they're hopeful after the way the season started I mean you go 14 and 2 you have expectations of getting to the Super Bowl and then somewhere around the end of October you're like this team isn't very good at all you know and What's happening to them? And leading into November, you're going all right. Season's over, but they made that run in December. They're they're as hot as anyone right now, and they're getting healthy at the right time. So I think we're in for a pretty good game on Saturday. Yeah,
2: the the feeling around
3: Buffalo was
2: I don't want to play Baltimore. I mean, the, with two weeks left, you're going to Week 16, and you know the Bills are they got the division, and you know there's all these different permutations who they can play. And if you ask any Bills fan, they're like, oh, I don't want to play Baltimore for all the reasons that you said right there. They are getting hot at the right time. Uh, let me ask you about injuries because let's start there because. Um, I, I see Judon on the injury report. I see Peters. Two days in a row they do not practice. Now we'll see, you and I are talking right now on a Thursday morning, so anything can happen and change, and they could be listed as just fine. But is there any concern there at all with two days on a game on a Saturday that these guys haven't practiced, one with an illness, Judon, and one with Peters with the back?
3: Uh, I mean, I guess there, there is some level of concern, right, because uh, you know they, they both missed time this year for various injuries. We do see the Ravens give uh, vets days off in the middle of the week. So it hasn't been stated whether or not this is fully a veterans day where they're giving them off, uh, you know, or they just want to make sure they're hundred percent healthy at this point with those two guys that have been around the league for a long period of time. I'm not saying they don't need to practice, but I don't know, like if you're looking yep. at them being maybe a little nicked up that, uh, this situation could be fine to just give them a day off or so. But, um, yeah, there's, there's nothing been stated, uh, saying that they are hurt, but the Ravens try to operate a lot like the Patriots where they're, as secretive as possible about everything that's going on.
2: Totally understandable. And Bills are in the same way, basically. You know, there's there's guys, you know, I know that Stefan Diggs and Cole Beasley are on the injury report is limited. They also played last week and they finished the game. So, you know, I mean, it's, they, they can be on yeah. there, but, you know, you're not going to read too much into that. So we'll see
3: how that I, goes on. And, and Sal with Cole, too, watching him, you know, I was watching the Colts-Bills game and I mean, I just felt for that guy. He—I yep. don't know what he's going through exactly, but you could see in his face how much pain he's in every time he's running a route, or you know, making a catch and getting out of bounds, or even taking on a tackler. Like you can just see it. And he's—I mean, look, that that guy's an absolute athlete. He's a gamer, and, and I'm, I'm sure Bills fans are happy to help.
2: Late in the game, he's in the huddle. He's coming out the way he was basically limping to the line of scrimmage, gutting it out. I wanted to run on the field and walk him to the line of scrimmage and help him. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, that, you're right yeah. about that. I mean, He's been a warrior all year so, you know, we'll see where that goes with those guys. The Bills have a, um, a, a few extra notable names on the injury report like Tremaine Edmonds and uh, Ed Oliver and Justin Zimmer. But generally, the same thing has happened here where as you get later in the week, we're going to find out, okay, everybody's good. And I mean, who's really 100% this time of year anyway? I mean, even radio guys, we're not. You know, we've been through the ringer here. We've, we've gone through everything You know this Year Jeremy Khan joining me, host of The Lowdown, 105.7 The Fan in Baltimore. All right, the, the real big question we've been trying to answer here in Buffalo over the last 48 hours is, how will the Ravens' defense play the Bills? Because last year... They had zero respect for the Bills passing game. And that wasn't just like, hey, they didn't believe in Josh Allen, but they knew they could cover up their wide receivers one-on-one. They went cover zero and cover one almost the whole game. That's what they do. They blitz a lot. We know they blitz a lot. And here's Wink Martindale yesterday saying, we're going to do what we've done all year. But here's the thing, Jeremy. The Bills are really good at countering that this year, much better than they were last year. Josh Allen has been great against the Blitz, and they now have Stephon Diggs, and they beat they beat man coverage all the time. So what do the Ravens do here?
3: That's a question we've been asking ourselves in Baltimore, is uh, how do they attack this? Because my expectation is that they don't want Josh Allen to get out of the pocket, especially rolling to his right. That's where big plays happen. Um, you know, I don't think they're going to necessarily be fearful of the run Uh, with the guys that they have up front when healthy. I mean, you saw what they did to Derrick Henry last year, and I'm sure, or last week, excuse me, there was a concentrated effort on that to slow him down, but they actually shut him down, which was very surprising. Um, So my estimation is, the big question is, where do they put Marlon Humphrey? Because if uh, he's been working a lot in the slot with the the depth they've had, they'll put him on the best receiver from time to time. I think he's one of the more underrated corners in the league that doesn't get his just due. I mean, even the catch that A.J. Brown made on the first drive, was a contested catch. He was in perfect placement. It was just a better throw and a better reception. Um, and he has a knack for knocking the ball free. I think he's forced more fumbles than anybody in in the NFL. So something to keep your eye on if if Humphrey is trailing a play because you know his uh, his name on, on Twitter is Fruit Punch because he's always punching the ball free. He Has a lot of pe- uh, Peanut Tillman in him. But um, my assumption is you know if, if 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 I'm the Ravens that I try to keep uh, Josh Allen in the pocket and not to say that he can't throw in there. But I think he's more dangerous when he gets outside for the big plays, and you try to limit what they're capable of doing. Get him in third and long because the Ravens feel like if they can make that team one-dimensional and force them to throw the ball, um, that they're in a better situation because that sets up their blitzes and they run a lot of exotics. They they, don't, they run more Cover Zero than any team in the league. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll send all kinds of pressure. And and the oddity of that is is that I know Josh Allen's really good against the blitz as well. So just a couple of things to keep your eye on if you're a Bills fan. But um. I mean, my, my big question is attack Stephon Diggs and did the Bills move him around a ton? Um, and then we'll see if the Ravens, because look, they have good corners everywhere, but Mark is the guy that teams want to attack. He will make the big interception, but he also will give up the big touchdown.
2: Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I think that's an interesting chess match. It, it match and the way I look at it is Generally, we know how these things work with most teams and most coaches. You just said it a little while ago, talking about last year's game. Don't get away from who you are. Even if things start to go poorly, I expect the Ravens to do what they do. The only way I would expect them to change and get out of who they are is that the Bills really do start beating them. And they say, okay, we have to make an adjustment now. But to me, the best way to go about things is just be who you are. And the Bills should do that, and the Ravens should do that. And that's what I expect Wink Martindale to do.
3: Yeah, and and look, he's been great. I'm surprised that he hasn't gotten more looks for for head coaching jobs with what he dealt with last year with uh, virtually no pass rush. This re- this year, they trade for Yannick Ngakwe. They still don't really have a pass rush. Um, he's been orchestrating that. I, I think the guy's brilliant, um, and I think he'd be a great head coach somewhere else. But, you know, look, to each their own and who they're going to hire and which, which route they want to take as far as coaches go. But, you know, um, w- Wink is a very, very sharp guy, and the Ravens are fortunate to have
2: him. All right, so they blitz a lot, but they don't have a great pass rush, and a lot of times people say, well, well why? Well, how do you marry that? And it seems to me, looking at you, tell me you know, kind of the way it is here, but it looks to me like they blitz to get pressure. They blitz to hurry. They blitz to affect the quarterback, but they're not getting the actual volume of sacks that you might necessarily want. Do they blitz in order to generate the pressure they're not getting, or are they blitzing to make sure that they infect, affect the quarterback in some way?
3: Um, I mean, I, th- I think it's a combination of both, but more, more or less it's, you know, to get that pressure. Now with Judon healthy and Gawkway's had a couple of games where, you know, he pops and you're like, okay, that's the guy they traded for. And, but for the most part, they, they just haven't had it. And, and, um, you know, Matt Judon's one of those, he's one of those high energy guys. Like, you know, he's the motor's constantly going. The question is, does he get there? He doesn't always end up with, you know, the sack numbers you'd like to see, but from time to time, he, he's a guy that's always around the backfield, even when the quarterback's getting the pass off um, or at least forcing them into somebody else's arms. But I, I think a lot of times that they're, they're blitzing to get that pressure that they can't, you know, they just don't have, they were one of the first teams when they faced the chiefs to kind of go cover zero. And I think it was such a shock to the chiefs a couple of years ago when they did it, that Pat Mahomes was confused and the Ravens were winning the entire game. Hmm. We had that crazy play to Tyreek Hill, the two point conversion. And of course they lost in overtime, but they really confused him And then the next time they played him and they tried to do it again, he just, Piece them apart. I mean, just moved up and down the field on them. So, you know, I, I think that's something. You, there might be some things that you can take away from the last game that you saw when the Ravens and Bills played. But again, I, I think both of these teams are totally different than that point in time. Yeah, I agree.
2: Uh, one of the differences, we'll flip it to the other side, is uh, J.K. Dobbins inserted into that backfield. I mean, Le- Ingram, you know, was the guy that you know he kind of had to stop. Now that's kind of shifted. Now we know Lamar as well, but just the volume of their running attack. It just if you stop one, here's another one that's coming at you, right? I mean, what has he done for
3: that offense? Oh man, I you know like it's so funny because I, look, I love the analytical guys, um, I, I, in, and I kind of agree with the assessment. Not that running backs don't matter, but that you know you can plug and play and find guys, and you don't have to waste. I don't even like saying waste, but use high draft picks on running backs. And after the draft, when J.K. JK Dobbins slid to the second round, I mean, I was screaming about it. I, I thought he was the best running back in the draft class, and now he's sitting there like, and the Ravens clearly are going to have a need. Mark Ingram, who's still okay, even though he's been inactive. And you got Gus Edwards, who is another one of those guys that kind of falls into that mold of what the analytical guys think. Like, hey, you can find a guy like this anywhere. It's just your your straightforward north and south running back, for the most part, and just a a thumper. So now you mix in a a guy like Dobbins, and you get that old cliche thunder and lightning, and you really have it because he's explosive. But we've been screaming about it all season, yelling at Greg Roman, like, what are you doing? This isn't Pop Warner. Stop having the guys carry the ball once, come off the field, high-five the new running back that's coming in, and try to run this three-headed monster where everybody gets eight carries. It just doesn't make sense. And then as soon as they went to Dobbins and, and Edwards as the primary backs, you saw the running game really take off and look like it did last year, even with all the injuries. You know, the loss of Nick Boyle, the best blocking tight end in the league. The Marshall Yonder retired last year. You lose your left tackle that PFF loves and Ronnie Stanley and usually grades out as one of the highest guys. So it's been a hodgepodge group. You take your right tackle, move him to left tackle, and then the running game takes off after they go back to that. And you see Dobbins. He's clearly – like I am i didn't see it last week, and this week for Bills. I like Bills fans. I would say that's the guy ultimately I'm worried about mm-hmm. because it, it wouldn't shock me to see him break a 60 or 70 yarder. He has that in him.
2: Yeah, he's, he's, he's really good for sure, but he's fast. He gets in the open field, and I agree with you. I think coming out of the draft, he's a guy that everybody loves. And the Ravens are that kind of team that – they draft to build on their strengths. They don't draft to cover up weaknesses or anything like that. I mean, throughout history, you know, they, they, they have a really good defense. Guess what? They're going to draft a corner or an edge rusher. They're going to do that. They have a really good running game. They still drafted a running back. So they've been really good in that regard. But how are they being used? How is Greg Roman viewed in Baltimore? A guy we're familiar with here in Buffalo, obviously.
3: <laughs> uh, he was hated after the playoff game last year. Uh, he was hated for most of this year. I mean, I, I went after him on my show just because he made this statement of, hey, this isn't fantasy football. I know everybody wants wants us to play their running back on their team. Uh, when we were asking questions about why are you still going to Mark Ingram? Because I think it was the Cowboys game where you saw it. Like Lamar had w- whatever, you know, his normal rushing yards, 70 rushing yards. Gus Edwards had 110. Um, or, and uh, J.K. Dobbins had like 80 on limited touches. And then there was Mark Ingram, who was fine with his four and a half yards of carry, But comparatively speaking, when you look at what the other guys did when they got opportunities, they their yards per carry were almost three times what he was doing. You know, it was just it was absurd looking at the numbers, and that was the the, you know kind of showing it. And in the very next week after Greg Roman makes these statements that this isn't fantasy football, and if people were asking why is Ingram getting carries, and he kept saying, "Well, he's doing all the dirty work," it's like you gave him the first three carries of the game. What are you talking about? Stop talking out of both sides of your mouth, and. You know, he's been he's been vilified since the playoff game last year where he and Harbaugh stepped up and said, hey, we, what are you guys talking about? We ran the ball in the third quarter. It's like, no, you didn't. You had Lamar drop back. He was under pressure and then he took off. and run. That was a pass play that turned into a run play because there was nothing open. So, you know, there, he's been he's been a big talking point in this city. And as much as he deserves blame for what went on early and last year in the playoff game, he deserves uh, he deserves a ton of respect. And, um, you know, for for what he did in the transition and going to those two running backs and even switching up their blocking scheme, you know, more to a gap blocking scheme. And it's really worked out for him. And you're seeing it pay dividends for them, you know, being on this winning streak right now.
2: The way I've always viewed him when he was in Buffalo and even even in Baltimore. But of course, I'm not as close to the situation as you, but from an outside observer. But watching him here, he had Tyrod here and they had a good running attack and and they, they did some special things here. But here's the way I've always thought of Greg Roman is he is very good at designing a scheme around his players' talents, but he's not so good at adjusting once someone kind of figures that out. Is that, is that maybe right?
3: Yeah, I mean, 100%. And, you know, like, I'm not telling you, the guy clearly knows football. I'm not sitting here saying, hey, I'm a radio host. I could do a better job than him. But there are things where we're watching the game going, I you know, I just don't get it. I don't understand the call. Like, for example, I mean, the perfect thing for me was last week, they, um, you know, Marcus Peters gets the interception. There's two and a half minutes left to go in the game. Um, you know, the, uh, the Titans have three timeouts and the two minute warning and the very first play, they throw a bomb, like throw it down the field. And not that I'm opposed to necessarily throwing, but the only enemy you have with a touchdown lead at that point is the clock. So even if you complete a long pass that goes for 30 yards, even though the percentages are low, you're right back at first down with them having two timeouts and the two minute warning. So the game there isn't, isn't as great as what you would expect if you're out there trying to. You know, run the football a couple of times and then decide if you want to throw it on one of those downs to try to pick up the first down to hopefully end the game. But, you know, we, we just see stuff like this all the time. The, there was a new little wrinkle in the offense where uh, they were kind of throwing this backwards pass to Marquise Brown. They did it twice last week, one time in the end zone where we're going, what on earth are you guys doing? Like, it just it just baffles the mind sometimes. But, um, again, we're, we're all analysts and kind of Monday morning quarterbacks. And for the most part, if it works, nobody says anything. If it doesn't work, everybody screams like what are you doing? I, I try not to be that way. I'm 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 always talking about what I'm saying during the game as I'm watching it live. But um, you know, it's it's been it's been interesting because I think for for most of this season he's been vilified by Ravens fans.
2: Jeremy Kahn, one oh five seven the one oh five seven the fan in Baltimore joining me. Bills Ravens Saturday night, Bill Stadium in Orchard Park, eight fifteen PM kickoff divisional round of the NFL playoffs. If there's a concern for Bills fans, if they do, you know, I guess slow down the run game, it's the tight ends. Uh, the tight ends, tight ends have hurt the Bills a lot, and the Ravens love to throw the tight ends, and they're very good at throwing to their tight ends. Uh, Andrews is sensational. Obviously, we saw Hayden Hurst last year with that big 61-yard, I think, touchdown it was on uh, early on in the second half after a, a blown coverage, but that's what they do. They put you in a bind because those guys force you to be in certain personnel, and then you have to Think about the run and then they get loose on a pass. So just tell us about, you know, the receiving core, who they throw to, how they like to use them and where they can beat you.
3: Well, there's two guys. I mean, it's, it's Hollywood Brown, Marquise Brown, who, again, people were killing him earlier in the year for all the drops. And he wasn't having this season. If you watched his off season workout videos, everybody was like, man, he looks amazing. I mean, he was firing the ball off the jugs machine into the air and running, you know, 40 yards and catching passes. I mean, he's got (laughs) top line speed but we just haven't seen that this year and he's been used in in different forms and fashions, especially the last six weeks. But the focal point in Lamar's favorite target is Mark Andrews and it always has been. Uh, He's way more comfortable throwing in the middle of the field. That's where Andrews is going to primarily run a lot of his routes. If you wanted to knock Lamar the passer, which a lot of people do, throwing outside the hashes and the deep ball at times are questionable. Uh, Everywhere else, I think he's fine. He actually sees the field pretty well and, um, makes good decisions. It's just sometimes getting it from point A to point B, which we question. But with Mark Andrews, that if he's in trouble, he's not afraid to to toss it up to him, And especially in the red zone. You're going to see Andrews get a ton of targets down there. So if that's been an issue for Bills fans, then you know, they're going to want to make a concentrated effort on trying to slow him down and maybe showing him some different looks to confuse him. But Lamar's favorite two guys are those two. And, and again, the weird thing is it's not like you really want – you could try to take away one person in this offense from a passing standpoint, and that would either be Andrews or Marquise Brown, but Lamar will, like, we've seen Willie Sneed have 100-yard games. Mm-hmm. We've watched Miles Boykins catch touchdown passes. He's not afraid to go to anyone, and even last week, the oddity of uh, that superhuman that is Patrick Ricard, who, I mean, he plays both sides of the ball. He's a blocker. He's a pass catcher. He does he does all the dirty work. Uh, they came out in the second half and threw a couple of passes to him on a drive, so they're not afraid to mix it up and throw it to guys you wouldn't expect. But if you're worried about tight ends, there's really only one to worry about. because He's the only one out there. They love their 13 personnel, their 12 personnel, but they've had so many injuries at that position that Andrews is just the guy.
2: Yeah, it's been it's been in a struggle for the Bills at times this year to cover the tight end. So we'll see how they try to match up in that regard. But let's talk about Lamar specifically now running the ball, because obviously that's the number one focus for most teams to come in. You know, it's Lamar. It's dynamic and things like that. But here's the thing. The Bills last year, they had a good plan. They he only ran for 40 yards. He only threw for 145. They really did a nice job going back and watching that game. It just, they were very disciplined. They attacked him when he made a move. They forced him into making a decision, which I think is, you know, the way they have to play him. But. Then I watched the New England Patriots this year. I get it. I know it was rainy. Like, I know that's part of the deal. What they did was they used their um, their DBs as basically on the edge. They brought those guys up and said, we're going to put an extra DB near the line of scrimmage. We're going to use those guys as edge defenders. Maybe a little different than the way the Bills did it. So you've seen a couple different ways to maybe have a little success against him. What's, what's maybe the way to approach it that you've seen teams, the teams that have maybe slowed down Lamar, there hasn't been a lot. What's been the most successful ways they've done it?
3: Well, early on, you know, if you go back to the first playoff game against the Chargers, they did something that most teams can't do, and they just went. Yep. <laughs> excuse me. They went small everywhere. You know, they uh, they they had more defensive backs on the field. Like it's almost like they got rid of all their linebackers, and then they just went with defensive backs across the board. Now, with when you have guys like Derwin James and and some of the corners that you have there, and and even you know, if you look at their secondary, they could move some of those guys into linebackers and still be very stout. And they went with that speed approach, like. You know, there should have been that adjustment in the game going, oh, wait a minute, we, we need to get to a power running game against the, the smaller, you know, um, you, you got a smaller front seven or actually, you know, smaller linebacking core and defensive backs being out there, get to this power running game. And the Ravens never made that adjustment, which, you know, Marty Morningwig that year got killed. Um, And then, you know, so when you look at what other teams have done, they put that spy on them. I think Tennessee did a pretty good job of it last week. And the oddity of it is like, he's going to keep running the ball. And there were times last week where I felt like he should have handed the ball off to the running back and he kept it himself. Um, But those two long runs, the long touchdown run and then the one to ice the game after that deep pass that uh, really kind of set everything apart, you know, and, and, and added to his total. Like he was having a good day running the football, but I thought the Titans for having a poor defense were very efficient against it. So my guess would be that you have somebody spy him, And even then it's, it's not as easy as it sounds because he is so good in space. I, I, I've never seen anything like this because I say this all the time, and, and this is where it upsets me from a national perspective when I hear people just kind of bashing Lamar. Like I didn't want the Ravens to draft him. I thought there were other areas that they needed they could have fixed. And then I watched them year one, and I'm like, this option offense is just not going to work. It's not even a read option because there's no, there's no threat of a – or an RPO. It's more like a read option. There's no threat of a pass when they were running it. And then he worked his tail off in the offseason. And I saw the videos, would hear how much he was working. And you saw how much better he became as a passer. Because he had uh, uh, ball, can, uh, you know, um, ball security issues throughout the, the course of his rookie season. There were a lot of fumbles, even ones he wasn't losing. But, you know, ultimately, I think you have to have somebody spy him. But even then, I mean, I make, he makes fast guys look slow uh, <laughs> with his ability. You know, they were talking about a Dory Jackson, who I think ran a 4-3-40 uh, at the Combine. And Lamar's running down the sideline. Lamar didn't have this unbelievable 40 time. He just kind of has this, if you want to call it instincts, this quickness, this wiggle that he has to get to open space. It almost looks like he's in the Matrix out there at times where he stops on a dime and you see guys run by him and he just takes off. But he put on the burners and Jackson had no shot of catching him. So uh, he's a special talent. Don't get me wrong. And then if you're going to sit here and try to take away the run, He can throw the ball deep. He can hit guys and create extra, you know, a little bit of extra time for him to find guys getting open. So uh, he is a dual threat. But again, you want to take the runaway and force him to be a passer. I think the same thing, you know, applies to a lot of guys in this league.
2: And if he's going to run, I think, again, that, you know, you know, when you're younger and you watch football and you play football, high school football, the option might be big and kids are taught to slow play it, you know, string it out, slow play it, you know, let let your reinforcements arrive. And then when you get to college, it can be one or the other. A lot of times there's just so much of a, a talent gap, you know, between the athletes that, you know. There's, there might be a little mix of how you want to play it, but in the NFL, it seems like a guy like Lamar, I think what the Bills did well was they forced the issue with him. Yes, he made Matt Milano look really foolish on one play. We know that, and he can do that to anybody, but don't give him time to make a move and just maybe force him to have to go one way and hope that everybody else is there to you know contain him, basically.
3: Yeah, and the weird thing about him is that the the big knock has always been, oh, running quarterback, he's going to get hurt. and. I haven't seen him honestly I saw him take one hit where I was like, Ooh, that one looked pretty nasty, mm-hmm. and he jumped right up. Um, but you know, I haven't seen him take those hits he He's been getting out of bounds when he sees it, uh, you know sees the opportunity there, but he's not afraid to cut it back up the field and try to take it to the house and and the playoffs are the point in time where maybe you can get an extra shot on him down the field if he's you know if he's trying to stay in bounds and make something happen um, but you know he's it's just weird, man, because like all the talk about it he's going to get hurt. Every quarterback gets hurt. And the funny thing is this, this rhetoric about running quarterbacks are going to get hurt because of what happened to Michael Vick. Ironically, he got injured against the Ravens. Um, You know, but when it comes down to it, you you look at a player like him, I I see more quarterbacks get hurt in the pocket than they do actually outside of the pocket. And they're getting smarter of sliding or getting out of bounds. Yeah.
2: We, we, we had this debate with Josh early in the year. Josh runs the ball like 11 times in week one, everybody's like he's going to get hurt. I'm like he's going to get hurt standing in the pocket if someone puts a helmet to his back. I mean that's what happens. You know, run, there's been studies on this. There's no more propensity for a quarterback to get injured when he's running than there is standing still in the pocket. In fact, most court. Look at Ben Roethlisberger. I mean, you know, you know he's not a running guy, but yeah. he's had these injuries because. He's a pocket passer. He's a statue back there. So I totally get that, and I think it's been a debate, but it's an easy knee-jerk reaction from any fan watching to go, oh, my God, my quarterback's in the open field. And then when they get hurt, they're going to say, see, I told you. And you're like, yeah, but the, mo- most quarterbacks who actually get hurt, it's because they were in the pocket and they got, they got rolled up on or they got drilled, basically, and you know, that's the way it
3: works. Sal, I talk about this all the time because, again, when I watched him in his rookie year and how they were using him in that, like, again, it was an option offense, Um, I, I just said, this isn't going to work at the NFL level, teams are going to make adjustments, and then you see him become the passer, and again, the threat of the run is first first off, what you want to slow down or at least try to stop, and hopefully make him one-dimensional as a passer because that's where he needs the most work, but This talk of getting hurt, and and I know it's going to happen because there's going to be some talking head on ESPN, Fox Sports, wherever that goes, see, I told you he's going to get hurt. He's going to get hurt in the pocket, taking Mm -hmm. a sack, and then someone's going to claim, I told you you can't have a running quarterback. I'm just waiting for it because I know the day is going to happen. But, you know, you look at Jared Goff hitting his thumb on a a helmet. Um, Drew Brees gets hurt, gets his ribs broken. I mean, multiple ribs broken. We saw Tom Brady get hurt in the pocket. Peyton Manning, you name a quarterback, any quarterback in the league, They've been, I mean, Pat Mahomes got hurt on a quarterback sneak. That's so, right. That's you know, right. It's, anything can happen.
2: Yeah, Josh's first year, he threw the ball against the Texans and he got hit on the elbow and he was out for like four or five weeks. He was in the pocket. He threw the ball. This year, he had Joey Bosa wrapping him up and he twisted his knee. I mean, these are the kinds of things, you know, that happen to quarterbacks. It's football and, and you're going to get hurt. And I, I agree with you 100% on that. All right, so, so let's end on this, but it's a two-part question. You talked a lot about Lamar. I think it's so cool. These two quarterbacks are where they are because they were so polarizing coming out of the 2018 draft class. And I love seeing it. I just do. I love seeing the fact that Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson have both basically proven so many of their critics and doubters wrong. And we have gone through this with Josh even through his first couple of years when so many people just trashed him left and right. His accuracy will never be good. And now you, now it's actually become a joke. There's the Josh Allen apology form that floats around, right? And people have to say you're sorry for doubting him. But Lamar's in the same way. You know, people, I mean, Bill Pullion, come on. You know, we all know, you know, what he said about being a wide receiver and things like that. How cool is it for you, A, to see this with these two guys? And B, what did you think about Josh coming out and where he is now?
3: So, no, Josh Allen, when he was at Wyoming, they played Ohio State, I believe. And I always love seeing the smaller school guys play the, the bigger schools yep. and see how things go. And when I watched that game, it, it really left a sour taste in my mouth. And I'm like, man, he, he just, I, I don't know that this guy's going to be able to cut it at the next level as soon as he faces you know, top-notch talent. He looked so bad in that game. And and again, I'm one of those guys that I don't like basing something off a singular game. Like I hated in the national championship when people are going or the uh, the semifinals where they're going, should fields be drafted over Trevor Lawrence? So we're throwing everything we've seen out because of what you just saw in one game where those two guys don't play against each other. They're playing against each other's defense. It just things like that drive me nuts. But um, when he came out, I was like, man, I don't know that I would draft him in the top 10 or it's not, like if there was value and he's sliding back. Um, and then after watching him in his rookie year, I went, man, I think I'm, I think I'm right on this. And then immediately, like slowly, but surely I'm going, man, this apology tour is getting ready to start. And you saw it with the PFF guys wearing the, uh, the apology t-shirts mm-hmm. and all the other things that are going on. And I love it because I, I, I think, you know, watching him, I think he went to the perfect place and now they're surrounding him with talent. And I just hope once, you know, some of these guys, cause it's going to happen with Lamar, it's going to happen with Josh. Once they get paid, that the teams are still able to draft accordingly. Like I have confidence in the Ravens to be able to draft good players, um, but will other teams be able to do that? Because the perfect example, what I always bring up is Russell Wilson in Seattle. That's right. Because Russell Wilson's great, but once they had to pay him, they started to lose the Legion of Boom and pieces on defense. And now you look at their defense, and it, it was this year was historically one of the worst defenses you could have seen for the first ten weeks. Um, and then, uh, and then of course, who they played down the stretch helped a little bit, but. You know, they're still trying to piece it together and figure it out for Russell Wilson. So, being you know, being able to draft is going to be paramount to it. But I love seeing his success and, and I love seeing all the people eat crow. And me personally, like, I'm going to make statements on how I feel. And if I'm wrong, I have no problem admitting I'm wrong. And I feel like in our business, there are guys that want to skirt the issue or sidestep it, like, well, this is why this happened. Or, well, mm-hmm. like, it's okay. We're all going to be wrong. Like, I was wrong on Lamar. So, I got no problem. I'll eat my crow and enjoy watching him play for the next 10 years.
2: Yeah, I didn't think Lamar would work, but you know what? I think that he went to the perfect situation, too, where he found an organization that um, they really committed to him organizationally, not just offensive scheme, right? I mean, the, you see the way they draft, yeah. right? The way they drafted what they've done. And the Bills have done that. The Bills had a plan for Josh. And the best thing for Josh Allen was going to a place that said, we're not going to create chaos around him. We're going to keep the same. We're going to keep everything the same. And we're not going to be firing people left and right. He's had the same offensive coordinator. But I think the way the organization in Baltimore, has really structured everything around Lamar. Has really helped him, and that's been great
3: for him. Yeah, no, no, no doubt about it. And like even when they drafted Marquise Brown, because all this this year they've been talking about all the receivers that went after him, the like AJ Brown, DK Metcalf, and you know these these names of guys that have uh, you know vaulted their, themselves to the the front of the line when they, when we talk about some of the great receivers in the league. And you know when that draft was coming out, we were saying they want a big body guy that wants to block. They want someone that can make contested catches because of who Lamar is. And then they draft the smallest receiver uh, that was at the top end of the draft. And we're going, this doesn't make any sense. But then when you thought about it, it's like, wait a minute, there's a ton of speed. Mm -hmm. So if Lamar can get outside and you got a fast guy and you can stretch the field with this guy, and now you're taking more people out of the box or he's going to see one-on-one, it does make a ton of sense what they did, even if he doesn't end up being you know, the type of talent that a DK or an AJ Brown is, but, um, but Marquise has done well for himself and, and kind of put things together this year. But yeah, I, I ultimately have confidence in the Ravens to draft the right pieces around him.
2: All right, man. So what's your Saturday look like? The game is until eight fifteen. Like, what do you do with yourself all day?
3: Yeah. I mean, look, I'll, I'll watch the, I'm, I, I'm a big basketball guy. So I'll probably watch hoops all day and okay. then diving into football. I got to do the post game show, which uh, this was my first year where they added me to it. And, um, I, I wasn't happy about it to, to tell you that, but not that I don't like doing it, but, you know, I like enjoying the game. And then especially when the Ravens were playing at one o'clock and then all of a sudden I get the text it's like, hey, uh, we're going to start at 415. And I'm like, man, and if, you know, if there was a big four o'clock game that I wanted to sit down and enjoy. But that's just me being a little selfish. So I'll be up until uh, late on Saturday night after the game's over, either you know, dealing with fans crying or, you know, happy fans about moving on and possibly facing the Chiefs. So we'll see how it goes.
2: Yeah, no doubt about it. Well, enjoy it, man. I know you will. Thanks for doing this as always. My condolences on Mo as well, by the way. That was a, um, that was a great story, but obviously ultimately, um, you know, him passing away was, was very sad for everybody. He had, he did captivate not only Baltimore, but the rest of the NFL. I know his story well. And, um, you know, for what you did for that young man and to be a part of that, I just want to commend you personally.
3: Yeah. Hey man, I really appreciate it. Um, and, and briefly here, I'll try to be as quick as I can, but when it comes to Mo, so Mo, Mo became a, a fan of the radio station, started calling in, I befriended him and then I had the idea about giving him my radio show, uh, for an evening. And we had so many high profile people call in. We didn't book a single guest. Um, and this kid hosted his own show, drove the show. Uh, he's 14 years old and like to, to hear him, I told him, we can go as long as you want. My show is three hours. And he goes, we're going into overtime. We'll keep this crazy train rolling. <laughs> You're talking about a 14-year-old kid. Like, I couldn't even talk to girls when I was 14. you know. <laughs> so he, he was such an impressive person. And, and my favorite thing about him, and I tell people this. So when I told him he was getting his own radio show, he was so excited. We signed him to a one-day contract. I got to spend the day with him, brought over food, played video games. And it was one of my favorite days. I'll never do anything better in my life than, than that. And, you know, it's, it stands out to me as a, a top three thing of all time. And I've had two kids born. So, um, yeah, I mean, you can kind of imagine where that is, but the thing that people need to know about Mo is I gave him the one thing that he always wanted. You know, he wanted his he wanted to do radio. And the first thing he did on his own radio show was have a moment of silence for his friend that died from cancer that he met in the hospital the night before. Oh, geez. Um, so he, he, he passed away the night before, but he'd known him and Uh, you know, like, it it was just one of the more amazing nights. Like, I had tears in my eyes the whole night. I sat outside of his apartment, um, and for about 45 minutes to an hour, and just, I mean, I was crying. Like, I had tears of joy, tears of sadness, and just knowing what was coming, and I remember being on the air when I found out he had died, and I just couldn't, I couldn't go through the show, and um, I mean, I do a show by myself, so I try not to get emotional, but sometimes it gets the best of you, and I mean, I I think Mo's the, the best of all of us, you know, so that piece means a ton to me, and the fact that the NFL Network came to town and recorded for 27 hours and was able to put together 14 and a half minutes and left so much on the editing room floor. I mean, they could make two movies about him uh, to let you know all the things that he's accomplished and he's done. I got a street named after him in the city um, on December 2nd, and that was announced it's Mo Gabba Day. And I just posted a video, and people can see it. Of I had a Mo, Baba, a Mo, 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 Baba, Mo Gabba bobblehead, the talking bobblehead that has four sounds And, I mean, they're going to sell out. I mean, they're going to be listed and be gone in in a heartbeat. But, um, yeah, man, I mean, like, you know, you've done this long enough. There are people that touch your lives, and nobody's – I mean, I fell in love with with this kid, and and he stole my heart, and and now I'm trying to carry on his legacy as much as I can. And with all due respect to Buffalo Bills fans, because I'm not not a Ravens fan per se. I do pull for the team because it's good for my city. Um, I grew up as a Peyton Manning fan and was a Colts fan and, and pretty much vilified for most of my life, doing Baltimore radio, um, but as people got to know me and understand what I was about, things kind of changed. And with Mo, um, that Mo in the end zone in, in the Baltimore, it just—I it, mean—it touches me every time. And there was nothing more I'd love to see than the Super Bowl and see Mo's name in the end zone. So uh, I am pulling like uh, pulling for the Ravens more than I've ever pulled for any team in my life. Uh, come throughout the run, So
2: is there, and as um, I said to you,
3: whoever wins this game, that's who I want to see win it all.
2: Is there anything? Um you know, any sort of charity or benefit or anything like that, that, you know, we can promote here or pump out there, you know, the way Bill's mafia is just to, just to give anybody any awareness. Well, if it, that's the I, case,
3: Yeah. So, so the one thing, so I'm, I'm in the process of creating um, a foundation in his name. It just, it's something I've never done before. So like, I'm kind of flying blind. I got some people helping me out. Um, and the one thing I always say is like, you know, I, I always tell people, cause I give out my, I give out my gambling picks and I've had, I'd be willing to tell you I've had the best year of any human being you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> it's absurd how much I, I – I'm, I'm not even kidding. I do uh, play on the name. I do my concrete lock. my favorite game against the point spread. I've hit 14 straight. Oh, my gosh. Um, and against the point spread this year. And it's all documented. It's all online. And I give it all out for free. Um, but, you know, this, this whole thing and how this, th- this has all come about, um, I, I've been trying to, like, build this foundation and get everything going. And people keep asking me, where can we donate? The one thing I would say is until I get the foundation going, uh, you know, the Federation of the Blind or pediatric cancer, or even if there's a charity that means something to you, uh, you know, it always it always feels good to to do something for someone else. And, um, you know, that's what I love seeing. And that's one of the reasons why when it comes to Bill's Mafia and, you know, look, it's nice to get thrown through a table. It's pretty cool to see some of the craziness that goes on. But all in all, uh, Dell and everyone else, how much money they've raised has just been so amazing for different charities.
2: Yeah, you know all about that. You know all about that. So, um, hey, buddy, thank you so much um, for, for doing this today. Thanks for sharing Mo's story. Uh, there's not, not every Baltimore radio host is particularly liked in Buffalo. Just so you know that I'm pretty sure you know that though, by the way. And, uh, but you're, you're, you're oh, I know who the one like. is,
3: Yeah, so <laughs> I know. get on him all the time. i I've, I've look, I like him. He's an acquired taste, but, uh, you know, and, and Jerry's been, uh, he's an interesting guy and he's, he, he can get vilified here as well. Yeah. So, but, uh, but yeah, you know, he's, he's very passionate and you know, he lost his mom. Um, and because of what one or two people said, he kind of took it out on everyone. Uh, and, uh, He's he's not as bad as everyone makes him out to be, but I I, I get why the dislike is there. One hundred percent.
2: I I actually met Jerry years ago when the uh, Orioles were training down in where they in Sarasota, I think, uh, right in that area. But I was doing a, some TV work down there, and he came on a show that I was on, so I I actually got to know him. So I didn't like keep in contact. But when all this happened, I'm like, I know that guy, and I agree with you one hundred percent. And um, you know, by the way, though. He, uh, he did a nice cameo for Dell and put a little wager on the game where whoever wins has to donate to the other's charity. So that's pretty cool too.
3: Yeah, I mean, that's, that's another cool part of this is that, um, you know, even with uh, some of the arguments, disagreements we all can have that uh, I think the bottom line, and that's what I was telling Jerry when all this came down, is that with everything that was said and, and how upset he was at uh, a handful of people that that said some inappropriate things to him that there's some good that's going to come out of this with money being raised and going to a great cause and you know with his mom passing away due to Alzheimer's um that's something that Jerry's been very passionate about. So um yeah I mean look there's there, there there's a ton that we could say here. Everybody with with fanatics, you know, and, and how it goes with your sports teams and everything yeah. else. Uh you know I, I got into it with a Buffalo Bills fan that I predicted the 49ers to beat him on Monday night football. And this guy wanted to give me the business the next day. And I went after him and said, you don't get to call me out for getting a pick wrong because (laughs) You've got a Buffalo Bills logo. You're mad because I picked against your team. Not that I got the game wrong. You're happy I got the game wrong. There so, you go. That's right. Yeah, that's, that's how right. it goes.
2: Hey, Jeremy, thanks again. Jeremy Kahn, The Lowdown, 105.7 the Balt- in Baltimore on The Fan, 105.7. Always appreciate you doing this. And uh, be well, my man. We'll talk hopefully down the road again. Maybe, you know, next year. Meet, but Maybe lots more playoff games between the Bills and Ravens, by the way. I think that we could be in for something like that. In the meantime, want to thank everybody for listening to this edition of South Sports and stuff. Bills, Ravens. Saturday, 8.15 p.m. Of course, you can hear me on WGR Sports Radio 515 on the Bills Radio Network on the call with Murph and Tasker. I'll be down in the mode. I'll be bundled up. We'll be getting ready for some Buffalo weather for the game, playoff game. There's nothing better than this, folks. Enjoy it, and thanks for listening to South Sports and Stuff.
0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more
1: details. Hyundai.